We're going to talk about fear over the next few weeks and some of the close relatives that fear has in that family, worry and anxiety. And uh, it's our hope that through talking about it, uh, not only do we discuss it and understand it, but then we find the tools to overcome it that are way beyond finding your trigger points, way beyond, beyond uh, biting your bottom lip, and way beyond just behavior modification and just choosing not to be afraid. There's way more to it than that. Um, there, there, is, there is a lot of fear that just lives and, and breathes and just kind of hangs out with, with many of us in this room. And we're all from different walks of life, all from different patterns of fear in our life. Some of you, you had your flashlight up the entire time. We took your name down. We want to talk to you afterwards. No. Um, like, like there's stuff that, that's like you're, you're, you're afraid. And, and so we've got all kinds of people dealing with fear. Now, some of you come, come to this service today, and when it comes to fear, your fear is like that. It's not that big of a deal. It's kind of a little fear. You're the, you know, you're maybe one of the guys that when I was in high school, you'd pull up in your dually truck and it had a big old no fear sign on the back with the crazy eyes and wore your shirt that said no fear. <laughs> oh man, those were the days, weren't they? Uh, you, you, you said to, you know, your, your, your friend, hey, watch this. And you try and jump, jump off the barn over the barbed wire fence and, uh, you know, you got no fear. Some of you, that's not where you are. Uh, some of you are here, and it's uh, fear's a bigger deal. In fact, it can almost be stifling in your life. It, it's it's uh, it's become an issue that that you need to um, truly deal with. Now, what I'm going to say is, it may be a tiny little thing of fear, or maybe a huge thing. And if you're on the extreme on both sides, I'm not for sure if this message will give you all the tools you need to to deal with fear. But it's a starting point for all of us in the room to at least start somewhere. So I, I invite you to get your worship guide out. On the back of that is your fill in the blanks. And we're going to uh, talk a little bit today, fill in those blanks. If you don't, if you prefer the digital route, you can go to uh, your uh, app store, iOS or Android, and you can type in Timber Creek Church, three words, and the Timber Creek Church app will show up. You can download that and, and uh, fill in the blanks right there under message notes, and then you can save them. You can email them to yourself. You can send them to your friend who's afraid to come out today, and uh, you know, give them the notes, but uh, want, want to jump in uh, this morning. Let's start with a defining fear. Let's get all on the same page. And fear is basically an emotion. All right, let's start there. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. Feelings are not right. Feelings are not wrong. Feelings are feelings. But feelings out of control, feelings out of control will not produce God-honoring results in your life. Any emotion that goes haywire, any emotion that gets out of control will not produce the kind of results that God has designed for your life or that you have had in mind. And so we can have passions, but if our passion is out of control, it, it, it will produce bad stuff. Fear is important to have in our life. It's a mechanism that's designed instinctively, involuntarily in us. But out of control fear, is an emo that, that's where we get to this definition that is an unhealthy emotion. So an emotion, the kind of fear we're talking about, is caused by a belief. It's not just a behavior being jumpy when, when someone scares you, but, but it's caused by a belief system. In fact, it's like this internal processing system that many of us don't even realize are happening behind the scenes along with our normal operating system 
Fear can kind of interject itself as a belief system that you wouldn't say, I let fear choose my future. You wouldn't say that, but internally, the same way that nowadays, like with fall backwards, uh, with, with the whole t- daylight savings, because internally there's a system that sets your clock backwards on your phone. You don't have to rely on your oven anymore or setting it back or turning it back. It just kind of automatically uh, does it. So congratulations. Uh, most everybody was on time today uh, because we turned our clocks back or you forgot to and now you were, you were here an hour early or you actually got here an hour late and you thought you were late, but you're actually perfectly on time. That's good. It's an internal system happening in our smartphone that that does it. Fear can be that internal belief system that we don't even realize exists because belief will dictate behavior. And when we behave in a way that would, would be counter to what scripture says or counter to what I know I am, but yet I act a certain way because inside maybe fear is, is processing that in a way you, you haven't really identified yet. It's an emotion caused by the belief of looming potential loss. Something you will have to let go of, something that will be taken from you, something you'll no longer have, some, an opportunity you'll no longer uh, be given, and it's a fear caused by an emotion of the belief of potential loss. Now, there's, there's good things about fear, and there's bad things about fear. Now, the good thing, the good thing about fear, like rational fear, is it's like a fence. Good thing about fear, it's like a fence. It, it's like a guardrail that keeps you from, from tumbling over or just, you know, uh, just inviting anybody into your house. Uh, uh, oh, hey, there's someone with a knife and, uh, and, a, and a potato sack over their head. Should we invite them in? No, you should not. It's like a fence, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to open the door there, right? Um, it's like a, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now. Jane and I were on a little trip, uh, and we spent a little R&R in California, and we were on the west coast there in California, and we were taking the 17-mile drive, and it's 17 miles of coastline up to Big Sur. It's absolutely gorgeous terrain, and, and there were several different um, pull-aside pull spots, and you can take pictures, scenic pictures, and it was one place by this beautiful bridge overlooking, I mean, just a gorgeous place, but, th- but there are no fences and people all over the place, like climbing down off of ledges and taking their selfie. And I did not realize how much fear I had in that moment. Because as everybody else was climbing around, yes, I wanted to get my pictures. And we, we did. We got a good picture. And this is Jane and I. And this is just one of the little selfies we took. But if you zoom in, you can see I've got a death grip on my wife, because she's like, let's get further. I'm like, no, 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 no. And she goes, you're hurting my arm. I said, okay, sorry, sorry, let's take the picture. <laughs> okay, go, go, go. I'm not, no, we're not. I mean, there were crosses at the bottom of this place where people had been, hey, let's get a little closer. Famous last words. And so it's like, you know, the good thing is fear is like a fence. But the, the bad thing about fear, the bad thing about fear is it's like a fence. So good, good thing is it can keep you from making horrible missteps. Um, it, it, it's, it's ingrained in us. The bad thing is it can become not a, a guardrail. It can become uh, a cage where it, it hinders you from taking an exit. It becomes normal just to stay within these boundaries and, and you're not willing to step out. So the two questions that have to do with with kind of that negative fear that's like a fence would be this. Number one, um, what has fear kept me from doing? 
What, what has fear in your life kept you from saying, kept you from forgiving, kept you from trying? Fear is like a fence, and it can keep you from doing the things that maybe even God has called you, but you've been afraid to do them. Another question we might ask is, what has fear caused me to do? Not what's it's kept you from doing, but what has fear caused me to say because I was insecure? What has it caused me to ignore because I wasn't willing to get out there and try it? What has it caused me to miss out on because I just wasn't willing to take that leap? I want us to live with a healthy understanding of fear, not so we can just identify it, but so that we can overcome it. In fact, write this down in your notes. Understanding fear is the first step to overcoming fear. But, but look closely to the important word in this first, first step. Understanding something, understanding sin is not the step in overcoming sin, just understanding it. It's a first step. But, 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 but overcoming something like that, that that's damaging to your life is not just by identifying it. You can identify all the areas that, that, that you, you should change in your life or that God, through his transformative power, should begin to do a work in your life and you're surrendering to him. But just understanding it and identifying it won't ever change it. We've got to surrender ourselves to what God would want us to do next. This is a good first step. So to, to, to kind of understand, let's look today at a human side of things on fear. We're going to look at two sides of fear today, okay? And, and to do this, we're going we're gonna to take some cues from uh, a modern psychologist. His name's Carl Albrecht, and he, he kind of designed this, this thing he calls the fear-archy. It, it's like this, it, it's, it's these layers of fear, and we're going to identify some of these things on the human side, but let me tell you, it's not about just understanding and, 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 and seeing the humanity side of fear. It's about engaging the divine side, the Christ-like side, what only Jesus can do with our fear. That's really the, the key, but we're starting with just understanding as a first step. In Carl Albrecht's uh, fear, uh, fear-archy, if you will, uh, there are several layers of fear, and they come from some things. Like number one is extinction. You can just write that down extinction. We're, we're going we're gonna to explain these at a deeper level, but let's get the triangle. Let's get the feararchy down first. Extinction. The next one is loss of autonomy. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll go deeper in just a minute. The next one is separation. Separation brings a certain fear. What does that look like? And then the fourth one that is, it's a little interesting. Um, you, you, it doesn't sound like it would be at the top of the list, but it's ego. But, but when you really understand ego and you understand that, that humility is the hallmark of Christianity and pride is like leads to destruction, pride leads to a fall, comes before a fall, then you gotta, you gotta let go your, your ego. Um, that was bad, I'm sorry. Let go your ego, anyway, ego. So both sides of this, we're gonna talk about both sides. So, so let's talk about this side, okay? And let's name that the fear side. When it comes to extinction, autonomy, separation, and ego, there is a fear side that Carl Albrecht talks about. And so this first one, you can take, just jot down some notes. This extinction has to do with death. It has to do with, with fears that we have that, that are not just because we're afraid of that. It's not that we're afraid of flying. We're afraid of the results of 
of that plane not working right, which is death. In fact, here's some things. Snakes, you know, you're not, you're not afraid of snakes just because they're snakes. Ew, yuck. You don't want to get bit because you don't want to die. Heights, you're not afraid of heights just because you like to be low to the ground. You, there's, a, there's a potential looming loss that causes that fear, like, what if I trip and fall? That was what had me with a death grip on Janet. She's like, let's go down there. It's going to be so fun. I'm like, oh, dear God. You know. Now, if we didn't have a good relationship, it could have been like, yeah, go down as far as you want. Further, further. Yeah, looking good, a <laughs> little further. But I love her, so I didn't do that yet. <laughs> Separation, or pardon me, autonomy, loss of autonomy is more about being not in control. We love control, don't we? It was kind of the thing in the garden. We wanted to be God ourselves. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to, to not necessarily serve and, and be a creation. We wanted to be just like the creator, and control has always been an issue. So when it comes to economy, money, uh, my job, it's not so much losing my, my job as much as the, what the job provides, which is wages, which keeps the, keeps the checkbook with the money that pays the bills. And, and so like economy, a couple of days, uh, we will have a major election in the history of this government and people uh, not feeling in control on one side of the aisle to the other and, and, and a fear of what might or might not happen depending upon where they stand and fear that drives uh, polling, fear that drives uh, commercials, fear that drives, they're speaking to your autonomy, your control. You're, you're going to lose that. You're not going to get that. This person doesn't like you. This person's going to beat up your grandma. Like, like there's, there's just both sides. And they all say, I approve this message. <laughs> Hoarding. When, when, when people deal with like the, the clinical thing of hoarding, it's a, like, man, what if I need this in the future? What, what if I need these 14 cats in the future? You never know. Like, what if I need them? It's amazing what we, we, we can hang on to. Storage, paying for storage on, 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 on stuff that we bought with money we don't have. <laughs> to pay for storage for things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Like, we just keep stuff, not driving. Like, you know, that's where I'm out of control. I wanna be in control, I wanna have the steering wheel as though you're in charge of the other 42,000 cars you're gonna pass that day. But loss of control is a big deal. The next one is more about being alone, separation, a loneliness, a fear of separation. Fear that I'm gonna always be single, or I'm gonna be single again, or I'm, what if we get a divorce? Or what if I lose that loved one? It's a reality. Now, these aren't, you ought not feel these. These are, you're going to face these. You're, you're going to face fears of separation in different capacities. So when we deal with those, those that being single or, or, or divorced or, or loss of a loved one, it's a, rea it's a reality we have to face. The next one is ego, and that's more really about being, feeling a feeling of insignificance. So you know how we want the best for our kids and how we'll say that, I just want the best for my kids? Do you know that many times that it's not really about having the best for your kids? Many times what drives that is actually our own ego, like I don't want to be seen as a failure as a parent. I want my kids to do well because what would that say about me 
if my kids didn't do well. So all of a sudden, from the gymnasium to the chalkboard in the education room, we can push our kids, and sometimes it's as genuine as we want the best for you. Other times, if left unchecked, it's I don't, I don't want you to embarrass me. Now, would we ever say that? No, but it's an internal processor. It's a, it, it's a thing of insignificance. What if my kids don't do, don't do well? What does it say about me? Failure. What if I fail? You know, one of the key things that, that people are afraid of is public speaking. Because it, it speaks to what if people don't listen? What if they uh, walk out while you're talking? What if they, they, they that wasn't meant to be there. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm so sorry. I was just like, per- like Jesus gave me that moment. That was so good. Love you. Please come back. You're, you're fine. My kids don't do well. Humiliation, you know. So like death is a big deal. Like we, want, we don't want, want to like die. People are afraid of death. People are also afraid of public speaking. You know, it's like both of those. But, but this whole thing is not, a, it, not about death, the whole ego thing. It's actually about not living life. I'm afraid that my life will be spent in a way that I really, I, I just live with regrets. And ego can get in the way and cause us to have a lot of fear. So that's the fear side insignificance, feeling alone, not in control, loss or, or a death. So those things can be a fence that keep us from going where God wants us to go next. So what if there was another side of this coin? What if there was a way to combat fear? What, what, if, the, the, what if we push this over and we talk about something else that actually would be like a like an antidote to fear that would be give us a different reaction. It wouldn't, it wouldn't eradicate fear completely because like separation and autonomy and, and ego, there's, there's always going to be challenges there. You're not going to get rid of the other side. But what could we engage that, that would help us um, deal with fear and overcome fear uh, that is becoming a fence that's more imprisonment than safety? Well, one thing we could put there, we say, okay, it must be courage. Courage is a character trait, an attribute that is like a catalyst for all the other virtues in your life. If you don't have courage, it'll be hard for you to have modesty, which is a virtue. If you're not courageous to, to stand up and swim against the crowd and be, and be truthful... That, that virtue is hard to engage if you don't have the courage. Courage stirs up the rest of the, the character traits, but that's not what it is. Maybe it's bravery. Bravery is like the kind of, of feeling you get after you've engaged courage over and over and over again. It develops a system within you that I'm going to be brave and, and engage the, the, the right thing. But it's not bravery. That's not the antithesis. That's not the, the component or the antidote to fear. Maybe it's confidence. Maybe it's just being confident in life and not, not letting little things get you down. What if it's the truth? The Bible says the truth will set you free. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is important. People are living with the lies of the enemy and living in fear. Truth is important, but it's not the, it's not the number one deal. Could it be faith? And then, man, that, that, that sounds really churchy because I could preach on, we're going to have faith over fear. Bless God. Because <laughs> they're both starting F. <laughs> Faith over fear. But 
It's, it's actually not faith. And, and in fact, it's something that I think would probably surprise most of us. It's something that I, would, I, think, I think it's going to be a little anticlimactic because you're going to go, hmm. But, but the reason why we deal with so much fear is because when we look at this, we go, hmm, instead of, oh, okay. We don't realize the power of this. I want you to write it down. It's love. Love. Now, love as in I, I, I love my labradoodle. No, dork, <laughs> no. Um, and you know, there is a, an author of one of the, one of several letters that, that compiled together creates the Bible that we know. 66 books, many different authors. And one of the disciples that lived very close to Jesus was with him in his years of ministry. Uh, this author, his name was John. He writes several different chapters, several different letters in the New Testament that, that we call books. Um, he, he wrote Revelation. He wrote John, a very creative uh, <laughs> uh, name of his book, John. And then he wrote another three very creative books. They called them First John, Second John, and Third John. It was an awesome creative meeting. What should we call these books? I know, First, Second, Third John. So... John, who's also known as the one Jesus loves, the one Jesus loves, he wrote in 1 John some very powerful words. Here's what he writes. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Now, I love my wife. I don't wake up in the morning afraid of whether my, life, my wife is gonna stop loving me that day. There's enough track record and surrender and submission. There's enough kindness and fruit of the spirit in our lives. I don't wake up wondering what is today gonna to be like. I'm not afraid of that. But there have been times where we both could wake up and say, I wonder what kind of spouse I'm gonna to get today. Like, am I gonna get the, the, the sweet, nice, you know, uh, Jeremy that I know, or am I gonna get the, <laughs> Pastor Jeremy, that, that, you know, you can preach a sermon, but then you don't, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm not going to get on that. This is not therapy. This is not therapy for me. Um, she doesn't really know what she's going to get sometimes, because sometimes I, I don't walk by the Spirit. And sometimes I let the flesh, I let the, the, the flesh dictate what I say in a moment of, of insecurity or a moment of feeling defensive or, and... And so it can be a, a fearful moment. She doesn't wake up living in fear. Some people do. Some people do. But, but ultimately, we love each other enough to not wake up afraid of one another. But I want to tell you that, that as much as I love my wife and my wife loves me, it's not perfect love. And John goes on to say there's, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. What perfect love is, is something you don't provide. It's provided by one person and one person only. It's provided by Jesus. He provides perfect love in the way he lives his life, the way he gives us his spirit to live inside of us. And until we can understand the perfect love, these things that we're afraid of, 
they have way too much say because we're living, we're living without a proper understanding of the perfect love of God. We're, we, we still think that when good things happen, that God is good. But sometimes when bad things happen, we quickly forget how good God is. We quickly forget that, that he's not against us, he's for us. We, we forget his promises, 7,000 promises in his word. When things go bad, we, we get fearful. And the antidote to that is not just identifying your fears, because your fears are always going to be there. It's not about knowing your trigger points and behavior modification. It's about leaning more deeply into the love of God, letting that be your foundation. And based on that foundation, you're able to approach fear in a little bit different way every day. So write it down like this. Understanding fear is important. Understand it. Know it. Identify it. Put a name on it. What's the, what's the fear that, that, that's causing offense in your life? But I just want to say to you, understanding God's love is more important. Understanding the depth of God's love is so critical. There's another author in the Bible who wrote more books in the New Testament than any other author, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul, he didn't start out writing books. Uh, he started out by holding the clothes, the cloaks, the, the trench coats of people that were warming their arms up to stone Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible. For just, just for believing in Jesus, he actually held the coats of those that, that stoned him to death. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He saw Christians die. We don't know exactly, but could have been that they died at his own hands. We know he witnessed their deaths. He was afraid of the way things were changing, how Christianity was, was overwhelming their nation and Judaism was beginning to take a back seat. And, and they were afraid of the complications and the consequences. And so what did they do to battle that fear of the unknown is they, they pushed against it. They fought it. They became skeptical. They became an enemy to something different. But Paul has an encounter with God on the way to persecute more Christians. And I want to tell you something, everybody. A genuine encounter with God can change everything in your life. It's why we do what we do here through groups. It's why we do the movement. And we have a group that's this next weekend going to an encounter retreat, stepping away from everything else and just experiencing God in a deep way. There's no, nothing's like an encounter with Jesus. Nothing. And Paul gets this. I mean, after he begins to serve God, he is uh, persecuted. He is arrested for things he didn't do. He is put on trial. He's beaten. He's dragged out of town, tried to be stoned to death. Uh, he, he gets, he gets uh, uh, put on a ship. He's going to another journey. That ship gets shipwrecked. I mean, some people are afraid of planes. This guy's got, he's like on the carnival cruise and it gets shipwrecked and he's on an island and they're trying to make a fire to stay warm, to stay alive. And out from the, the, the logs they had collected, what else happens? A snake comes out and bites Paul. It's like all of it, like all that we're talking about Paul experienced. So if anybody knows how to lean in to talking to you about fear, it's the apostle Paul. And as he sends a letter to the church at Rome, friends at Rome, and the church of Rome, the same place that crucified the Lord Jesus, he's sending words of encouragement and hope from a guy that experienced a lot of junk on earth. 
Paul doesn't give us all this hope because things were cloud nine. He gives us all these words from a guy who was like bit by a snake, shipwrecked, stoned, and I don't mean the drug kind. Uh, he was beaten, all these things. And here's what, he, here's what he writes in the book of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And look at the personalization of this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he doesn't go on to mention people. He doesn't go on to say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, John, George, Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod. He doesn't go on to name those. He personalizes these real things that even way back then, the first Christians were dealing with and you're dealing with too. He says, shall trouble or hardship separate us? Because those can, those can be hard people to deal with in our lives, trouble and hardship. Shall persecution or famine Things that happen to me, hard stuff that goes on in my life, people coming against me, my, my base needs not being met, can't even find food, what's going to happen? What, what, about, what about nakedness or danger? Stuff, stuff that, that happens to me or things that I can't control, even the big one, the sword or death as we would say. And Paul then draws from the old Psalms that were written hundreds of years earlier. And he says, for it's written, because it was written in one of the Psalms, for your sake, talking to God, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, I, people know for a long time since the beginning what it's like to face fears, what it's like to be afraid. And Paul says, we, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But he says, no, that's not our outlook anymore. We're not just sheep to be slaughtered. No, 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 no. We're not just sheep going to the slaughterhouse. No. In all these things, we're going to say it out loud. We are what? More than, more than conquerors. Now, if you put the period at the end of that verse, we are more than conquerors. You know what would happen? It would become like a tagline for Reebok and Nike. It'd be all about what we could do more than conquerors. It would be in your own strength to look at fear, the insignificance, the loneliness, the, the lack of autonomy, death. And I, I am more than a conqueror. I can, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And if we just leave it in what my strength can do, you'll miss the whole thing. So Paul doesn't end with, you're more than a conqueror. See you later. God bless you. Go to Golden Corral. He says, you're more than conquerors through... Him who loved us. The only way you truly conquer anything is not just through you conquering. It's through him who loved us. It's completely relying, submitting, yielding to him. Because Jesus, look at me everybody, Jesus wants control. It's not because he's a dictator. It's because he's better when he's in control. He wants control. And he doesn't, he, he's not going to demand it from you. He's not going to rip control out of your hand. Here's the beauty of him. Here's the beauty of Jesus. You don't have to love him if you don't want to. He's not going to force you to love him on this side of eternity. And because of that, you need to understand this. Jesus doesn't force anyone to love him on the other side of eternity. If you don't want to surrender to him here, Jesus says, I'm not going to force you to surrender to me and worship me for eternity when you die. In fact, 
if you, if you want to be separated from me here, it's not a threat. It's why would you want to just be with me in eternity? He lets us choose. And that's what's beautiful about his love is it's genuine. It's perfect. It's not forced on you. But when you receive it, oh, it's so powerful. But here's what gives fear strength. The same way Jesus desires to, to, to guide your life, fear is, the, is a thing seeking control. It's a thing seeking control after you. But if we see perfect love, fear has the potential to point me to God. Fear has the potential to, if understanding God's love, when I'm afraid, I can see God. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil because I'm not just walking through the valley. He's with me. It points me to God. My four-year-old, my 15-year-old daughter who was four back in the day going to a little private school here in, in town, she, they would learn the ABCs, a scripture for the ABCs. And every week they were learning A and then B and then C. And so A was, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then the next week they learned B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. C, come hither thou heathen to experience the wrath of all. No, that's not what it was. It was, a, it was like, I don't remember what C was, probably confess or something. But all the way A through Z. And I, I, I'll never forget Jane and I sitting in the living room, a little house we had in Brook Hollow, four years old. It was storming outside, and, and she's walking down the hallway. And you, you, you ever had, like, the lightning, and it's so close that the thunder is immediately following? It's like, like, like it was one of those moments where all the windows lit up and immediately, and Sage, as a four-year-old, is walking down the hall and goes like that. And the first words out of her, her mouth, I want to tell you what the first words were out of Janet's mouth. But, <laughs> but the first words out of Sage's mouth, she went like this. Oh, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And I said, girl, let's go get some marble slab. <laughs> I like that. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust See, fear has the potential to say, oh, God, I need you. <laughs> I need you. So if this is one side that psychologists say you're just going to have to deal with reality, let, let's, let's, let's push this over here. And let's remind ourselves of, of how perfect love drives out fear. When ego says... I don't know if I'm significant. I don't know if I'm going to do this. I don't have the strength. What if I'm a failure? What if it doesn't work right? What will people think of me? God's perfect love all throughout Scripture reminds you and me, you matter. And you don't just matter to people who love you. You matter to the creator of the universe. You matter. No matter what mom never said to you, no matter what dad did to you, you matter. And whenever I am afraid, I've got to remember I matter to God. My identity is not in this job. My identity is not in the paycheck. My identity is not in the bank account. 
My identity is not in whether we receive the award or not. My identity is not in what people think of me. Some people trust in those things. The Bible says it's like this. Some people trust in horses. Some people trust in chariots. Like some people trust in people's words. Jesus says, you matter. You matter a lot. You matter so much. I would give the most important, uh, I, I would pay the biggest cost you could ever imagine. When we see separation and, and there's that, 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 that fear of loss, um, that, that, that feeling of, of being alone, from being single or the divorce or whatever the future holds or the marriage isn't the way you wish it would be, Jesus reminds us, I'll never leave you. You know, I'll never divorce you. No matter what you go through, I, I'm, I'm faithful. Nothing can separate you from my love. When it comes to loss of autonomy, what I want to say to you, which is very, very true, is you're not in control, so just get over it. But you're like, that doesn't help my fear. Doesn't help anybody. Makes me feel worse. And Jesus gets it. It's why all throughout Scripture, he says, trust me. I mean, you matter. I'm never going to leave you. Trust me. Lean not on your own systemic processes of how life works. Trust me. Trust me. Lean into me, not on your own. And then when we have this idea of death and afraid, you know, death is never easy. I got a big bear hug in the parking lot of the hospice at CHI a few days ago from a big old strong man. He was losing his dad. Saying goodbye to his dad. His dad went to heaven a few days later. It's just hard. It's not easy. It's we don't want to lose people we love. But what Jesus says is not that you're never going to face loss. He says, I defeated death. I defeated it. I trampled death. To a to a couple of young ladies who had lost their brother who had died and they were waiting on Jesus to show up and, and touch him, heal him. But he, he was four days late and he was dead and they had buried him and he was in the grave. And he says to those sisters after he cries with them because he knows what pain feels like, he doesn't just say, I got all this. He, he like, he weeps with us. He weeps with them and then he says, I'm the resurrection. Even though death is so scary, I'm life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And whatever might kill your temporary body will never touch your soul. I got it. I defeated death. And so Paul, when he gives us all those things, trouble, persecution, famine, hardship, he starts all that stanza by saying, what then? What then? Shall we say in response to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
But just sometimes I wonder in today's day and age if we actually believe that God is for you. Because here's the deal. If God is really for me, there is no fear that can rule me. If the God of the cosmos is really for you, nothing should rule you except the knowledge of his love. Nothing. The problem is how can we know he's really for me? When stuff happens and things go wrong and things go awry and I face hurt and I face pain. Real love, listen, I really love my wife. Am I going to save her from any pain she's ever going to experience? No, I don't have that capacity. I'm not the savior of the world. And even though God in his divine nature has capacity to turn everything over in a moment, he knows that you and I, we're always going to face stuff. We're going to face it. And yet we can lean into his love. So what if, listen, what if? What if we really do ask the question, is he really for me? The way you answer that is, who has seen all you've ever done? The stuff people know about, the stuff that nobody knows about who's seen all your imperfections, all the good things, and yet all the bad things. Who, when he wasn't on your mind, you were on his mind. And while you were still not where you needed to be, is there anybody else in life that left heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless life, and became the sacrifice for our sin? No nobody else so if God's really for me fear can't rule me and listen God is for you he shows us through his son the most valuable treasure in heaven poured out on you and me would you close your eyes with me this morning oh it's time to do business with God everybody it's time to try and stay still and just listen, do business with God today. And the beauty of it is God's not mad. <laughs> You're not having to do business with some kind, kind of tycoon. <laughs> You're doing business with the Father who deeply, deeply loves you. If you're here today and you, you say, man, I, I've let some things rule my life. Your first step is not to understand fear. Your, your first step is to lean into Jesus today, to invite him to be the savior and Lord of your life. If that's you and you say, I need to surrender today. I don't even know what all it takes in next steps. Just today, I need to surrender to Jesus as my savior. And maybe you did that a while back, but you've drifted. <laughs> You're not alone. The Bible says we're all like sheep. We go astray. But if you want to re-surrender or surrender for the first time to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not going to let anything rule me. I'm giving you control of my life. I'm surrendering to that real love today. Would you be my Savior and my Lord today? If that's you, you want me to help you pray a prayer to the Lord today. Put a hand up in the air. I need to center my life around Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of, oh, many, many hands in first service. Many, many hands in second service. Anybody else? Quickly, quickly. I want to pray with you. 
Jesus isn't mad at you. He is so thankful that you would take this moment to make things right. You can put your hands down. In your own words, you'd simply invite Jesus like this. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you would give me this moment to make things right. I'm, I can't fix my sin, and I certainly can't change my past, but you give me a fresh start, and that's what I'm embracing today is, would you take my sin away? Would, would you help me in my next steps of following you and not following my own? It means I have to surrender control. It means I need to lean into you and not my own understanding. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me this moment to make things right with you. Now I confess with my mouth, you are who you say you are. You died on the cross, you rose again. And the gift back to me is the Holy Spirit. When I accept you, your spirit lives inside of me and I receive that today. In Jesus' name, with eyes closed and heads still bowed, Maybe you've been living on the fear side and it's time to really offer those things as best you can. Not about biting your bottom lip and getting the courage. That's part of it, but it's not the deal. And you need to just invite the perfect love of Jesus to drive out fear. Whatever it is, would you put a hand up? I wanna pray with you too. Any fear you're dealing with, all of uh, yeah. You can put your hands down. There's a lot. Oh, Jesus. We speak peace over the situations. We speak hope. Who is peace? Who is hope? You are, Lord. God, we, we, we invite you to give us the strength that we don't have right now to be able to. We're afraid of forgiving. We're afraid of, of letting it go. We're afraid of, of starting over. We're afraid of really stepping out. We're afraid of, of what that might mean. We're afraid of what we might lose. We're afraid of, of what we might get. We're afraid of what we might give. God, we, oh, we just can be so scared to death. But thank you, Jesus, that you are with us. And if you are for us, no fear is going to rule us. Now we receive that. Would you receive it in your heart? We receive it in Jesus' mighty name. Fear you are not going to control. Fear you're not going to own. Fear you're not going to be a driving force. We invite you, Jesus, and your perfect love to drive out the fear in our family. Drive out the fear in my decisions. Drive out the fear of, of, of what might happen in the future. Drive out the fear that I feel because of the medical report. The, the fear that I feel because of what has happened in the past and maybe it'll happen again. May your perfect love drive it out in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Would you, would you honor the Lord with that? Honor the Lord. Thank you, Lord.